Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code, the management consultancy for what happens next. For more information, you can visit heroncode.com. In this podcast, we will be talking to female leaders of today to inspire the leaders of tomorrow. Today in the Heron Co. studio, we are joined by Sharifa Al-Barami. Born in Oman, she is a high-impact startup growth catalyst, tech whiz, angel investor, entrepreneurial ecosystem mover, a founder, a media personality with an impeccable track record. She has over 20 years of hands-on experience in guiding SMEs and startups through global deployment and strategy development. She helped spearhead the establishment of a $15 million seed fund and accelerator program aimed at investing in technology startups at the seed stage. If we, as women, if we just keep on focusing on gender, 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 women, women, you know, and, and playing the victim role, I think that is the ultimate word. It's being in that victim chair does not do you any good. To become financially literate, because I think that's the other big elephant in the room that we as women don't talk about. So I think one of the things that women really need to unlock to really leverage their network is Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code. Sharifa Al-Barami, welcome to Heron Code's Women in Leadership podcast. How are you today, first of all? I'm very good. Thank you. I'm really, really delighted to be here. It's beautiful weather outside. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's like July and it's very hot, but it's, uh, it's, it's beautiful. So you're not from Dubai. You're, not, you're from Oman, right? So you've you traveled, you've come here. Um, how are you feeling about that? Are you here often? Yeah, I mean, Oman is only like four hours drive. And for people like me who are, who are usually very busy, going on that drive is wonderful. <laughs> it's the best time to kind of, you know, uh, really just relax and just zone out, uh, listen to your podcasts and Aww. other podcasts and uh, and just, you know, it's just four hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we are very, very excited that you are here with us today. You have such a phenomenal history in what you have achieved. And even us speaking just before we came and started recording this podcast, there were so many... Uh, things that you said that I already feel inspired by. So uh, the audience and the listeners should get very excited right now. Oh, thank you very much. Sharifa, I want to take everyone through a journey. uh, And I know that everyone has their own individual journey, but everyone, no matter where they're from, who they are, can learn things from other people's experiences. Now you do what you do right now, which is absolutely phenomenal. But I'd like to take you back to the beginning and perhaps... What started this all? I mean, what you do right now is on a large, large scale. But what is your story? Where did it start? Where did this thrive and this just buzz to be who you are? Uh, to be very, very honest, I, I, I really think it started in the library, wow. <laughs> back at school. My background, my, my dad is a diplomat. So we, we've had to uh, move from country to country so many times. And as a child, moving from country to country and leaving your friends and like school and everything, you kind of develop a different perspective about life. So I used to hide a lot. It was difficult to conform because it's always something new. It's always trying to find the friends and find, you know, the dialogue and understanding what's happening in the new culture that we're kind of relocated to, which was a blessing in disguise, which meant that a lot of my time was spent at school hiding in the library, which is always a good thing, especially back then. I mean, we're talking, there was no social media. There was, I mean, no real distractions. So a lot of books, a lot of reading. And I think once you start having a passion for learning, it's never about the destination. It becomes the, just the journey, the experience 
of anything new, anything that's different, it kind of takes you on that route. So for me, when I graduated from university, and again, going back to being an Arab girl from you know, the region, there were only two options for us to, to continue our education. You're either going to be in the education field or the medical field. So I was either a teacher or a doctor. And I opted for the sciences. So I, I was, you know, I graduated. I, I went to continue my education in dentistry. So I went to the UK. And then when I started studying dentistry, I read somewhere, and again, being the avid reader that I am, I read a, a, a research that said, like, one of the highest suicide rates among all jobs was among dentists. And I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> Why do I want to even be a dentist? So I went into biomedical science. So I graduated from biomedical sciences and from there went on to business and from business on to venture capital and then finance and now crypto. And that's just like... To put it short. <laughs> uh, to put it short, but it seems like your professional career essentially took the roadmap of where you were personally moving oh, around yeah. the world, oh, right? Yeah. You know, I, I completely, you know, like seeing a lot of the younger generation today and, and, and how it's, it's so easy to kind of box everything and, and put people in boxes and say, okay, if you're going to do medicine, then, you know, that's your career. I do not believe in that at all. And I encourage, I mean, I, like all of the youngsters that I speak to, I say, you know what, you change as time changes. So why can't you just change your career? Who says? I mean, the time when I decided to go into medical field, I was a completely different, I don't even recognize that person anymore. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's the human nature. I mean, we all change so much. And I think part of the human struggle is trying to stay who you were and resisting who the universe is taking you to become. So I think I've reached a, a, a stage in my life where I'm just like, you know, wherever it's going to take me, you know, let mm -hmm. it take me, Selabi. Yeah, because at some point it comes that you kind of let go. Yes. I don't know what your thoughts are on being a perfectionist because, oh, yeah. I mean, we're all guilty oh, of it, yes. but definitely in entrepreneurship. Yep. Everyone has this idea that in order to even start their business, everything needs to be perfect first. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think if I, like, open the toolbox, one of the first and most powerful tools in that toolbox of becoming successful is really enduring failure with a completely open perspective. In fact, I don't want to say look forward to failure, but never look at it as failure. I mean, you really never really fail. If you have the right mindset, you're just falling and learning what not to do again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's it. You know, I mean, and, and you can't get very far if you don't continuously do that. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, if, if every time a child, when they fell, never tried to walk again, we just, as human race, we wouldn't walk. You know, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's so important to, to learn the lesson of just like taking it in and then just learning what not to do. And again, I think what you mentioned is so paramount. It's, there is no such thing as perfect. Mm -hmm. there, is, there just isn't. And I think us women, we, we do suffer from that a lot. There's, we put a lot of pressure on, on ourselves to be like, you know, perfect in everything. Mm. But then that's a different story about like a generational upbringing of, of girls and women. Uh, is there a standout moment in your career that comes to mind where 
you had put that pressure on yourself and, you know, maybe you had failed for the first time and it was tough uh, mentally, the resistance and the resilience needed from your end. Is there a story that you could share with us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's very recent and I didn't think it was going to be, you know, you reach a point and like in your 20s, you think you've got it. And then your 30s come and smack you in the face. <laughs> and then you realize, no, you're not there yet. And then once you kind of hit 40, you think you've you've seen it all. And then life gives you another smack in the face. So one of the, I think the, the biggest, I don't want to say failures, but it was, it was definitely a fall. It was a big fall. I mean, we had a marketplace. We had our own uh, online marketplace. We were doing very well. I mean, this was the, the startup that I launched back in 2018. I actually resigned from being managing director of an investment fund to do this. So from being comfortable, venture capitalist with a wonderful uh, salary, I was like, no, I'm going to take the risk. If if I'm asking entrepreneurs to, to do and follow their passion, then, you know, I, I need to also walk the walk. So I resigned from the job and just launched Marketex. And Marketex in the beginning was doing so well. I mean, 2018 e-commerce was not that big, especially in Oman. So we were one of the first marketplaces. And yeah, we did everything correctly. Absolutely. It was beautiful. We had amazing metrics, great growth. Fantastic Corona hit and we were like, wow, what a blessing because, you know, suddenly everybody needs to be online. Everybody needs groceries. We started with just the idea of having a, you know, your corner shop online. So we would deliver grocery goods anywhere in Muscat within 30 minutes. We owned the logistics, the inventory, everything. And then Corona hit and suddenly like, you know, the it was 300 percent growth in a matter of two weeks. And we continued growing and then suddenly like competitors came in, but then funding didn't come in. And so earlier this year in January, we had to make the toughest decision of pulling the plug, just completely pulling the plug on the whole project. It really was excruciating pain. It was so painful, but it really, it, it really humbled the whole team. I personally am on a you know, personal level. I think it was one of the most humbling experiences of my life. You know, I realized that, you know what, it's never about what you do. It's about how you react. You know, hell could completely break loose, you know, and like Armageddon and what have you. And it doesn't matter how bad it is. It's all within you. It's all inside. How do you take it? How are you going to react to that? What are you going to do? Because it's all really in the mind. I mean, it's it's what we make of it. Wow, it, that was a challenge. And mentally, though, as well, because you can speak about financially, you can speak about, you know, the investments made, the, the people or the investors that you were potentially letting oh, yeah. down. But as an individual, yeah. the mental strain that that might have had on you during the pandemic as well, how tough was that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it, you know, the pandemic is, is one thing, but then the pandemic was something that hit everybody. Mm. I think one thing that the pandemic did is that it made us realize that there is so much more than what we think there is, because we've had to, you know, suddenly get, discover people who we live with that we, we didn't even know. You know, it's like, oh, my God, you know. Uh, uh, and, and then we had to actually go through the process of having to go through it you can't just leave the house. You can't just say, no, I'm not going to listen to any of this, yeah. <laughs> you know, anymore. And I'm just going to walk out. You can't walk out. So I think, I think what Corona did is that it made us realize that 
uh, there is so much more than just the exterior. You know, we have to understand ourselves internally. We need to do the journey inside. And nothing's going to be given to you unless you do your internal, you know, journey. I personally, for sure, went through, you know, the dark night of the soul during mm -hmm. Corona. I believe a lot of people did. There was a lot of like Mercury retrogates mm -hmm. as well at the same time. And so I think just on a universal energy level, it was it was a good time for for a lot of awakenings. But then if we talk about the business and everything else, I think, yeah, absolutely. As a business person, as a founder, and I was the chief technology officer as well. And, and it's It's really, there's the team, but there's also this, the people who were benefiting from the services that we offered. And to me, that was the most painful thing. It's, you know, it's, it's the mothers who had little kids, and for them, the service we provided was a blessing. You know, she, she didn't have to find a way to go and get the groceries. It will come to her to the house. And, you know, it was just letting down so many people. But again, I say it like this because now I realize it's not you letting anyone down. It's just... It happened, you learned, and now you just go on to your next journey. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in fact, when you tell people about your problems, I think most people will be like, oh, I'm so sorry you felt like that. Mm -hmm. Are you okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but I think we, we tend to kind of judge ourselves much harsher than what, you know, everyone around us does. Mm -hmm. We tend to internalize a lot and Absolutely. not speak to the people. So. Talk to me about that moment, that moment that what you thought, you know, you left your high, powerful paying job, you went and explored this venture, and that didn't go the way that you would have hoped. What happens then? What was going through your mind? How do you recoup? How do you re-energize to start something new? Oh, my gosh. It was a complete identity crisis. And I, I think every entrepreneur who's been through that can probably relate and would resonate with that because... You know, your business and your, your startup is really literally your baby. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really like losing a very, very, very close part of you. And you lose it. That's it. It's gone. You really mourn. I mean, I, I went through the whole mourning, you know, process. You, you first start with denial, and then you go into being quiet and silent, and then you get very sad and very depressed. And then you try to come out of that, but then something brings you back. And you literally, I mean, and the only solution is time. It just really literally takes time. And maybe this is, you know, to anyone out there who has um, lost a business, and I would say lost a business because it is a loss. Just realize that, you know, there's nothing specific that you can do except allow time to take you through the process. It just literally takes time. It's exactly like losing a very, very close person to you. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think a lot sure. of people would uh, benefit from that. And what I love about you and your story is is your emphasis and your love and passion for community. Yeah. I mean, you just mentioned it that, you know, your first thought was the people that were benefiting from what you had uh, created. It's something that you've done throughout your journey because traveling internationally and stuff, but you always came back home. You yes. always came back home and wanted to serve your community and your nation. How important was that to you? You know, I think at the end of the day, uh, we're really, each and every one of us is here on earth for a purpose. But I think no matter how different our purposes are, I think the ultimate thing is to be of service. You know, whether you're a mother, a father, a soldier, a minister, a, a janitor, it doesn't matter. Whoever you are on this planet... 
your whole soul existence in this journey is to be of service somehow to someone. And I think that's really ultimately what it is. So, you know, when you find your passion, you find what you're doing and you're like, okay, so this is something that I can do. I feel good doing it. It brings me, um, you know, a lot of joy. It's, it is of service. It brings joy to other people. And I'm good at it. Then, you know, that is ultimately the, the perfect ingredients for a good startup business or even like a charity pro- project. So I think, you know, ultimately, I think we're all here to serve either way. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And and the thing is with you is that you have already done so much. And I, I know, and we'll get to it, there's so much that you feel like you are yet to achieve. But with that, I know that comes with being a strong individual and character and mentality, which we've spoken about. But the relationships that you really carve along the way are really important in in how you make your mark, I guess, right? Has that been quite a pivotal thing for you, the relationships, the networks that you've built? I think it's important. I think it's absolutely imperative that you do build good networks. I was in a, a talk recently during Expo 2020 in Dubai, and, and we, we talked specifically about how women and networks are yet to be solidified, for sure, especially for women, I think. And again, I don't want to differentiate, but, you know, it is what it is. I mean, men are better at leveraging their networks than we are uh, as women. It's getting better, but I think it is very important to leverage those networks. I think one of the main issues that we... Uh, discussed even during that lecture, it was it was more like a session, is that one of the biggest hurdles that women have in leveraging their networks is the the know-how to ask. We usually do not know how to ask for what we want. We expect, and I think a lot of women probably can relate to this, you know, even like with your husband, your partner, whoever, you expect them just to know what you need and offer it, right? And when they don't, you get angry. But then you never really articulated what you asked or, or what your ask is. So I think one of the things that women really need to unlock to really leverage their network is is really first understand and know what they want, but then learn how to ask for it and, and be okay with receiving a no. I think that's, you know, the first obstacle is, is really knowing what to ask or how to ask for what you want. And then the second thing is that um, being okay with being rejected, because I think one of our biggest issues, and this is something that took me a while to kind of develop, it's definitely generational upbringing and conditioning. You know, we're not conditioned to receive rejection in a, in a good manner. I think it's the same for men as well. And I think the men in the room can probably say, yeah, but <laughs> us too. It's very true. It's very true. But I think for girls, it is more, um, maybe because it's, it's, it becomes more emotional. It becomes more a reflection of your self-worth. Uh, And so receiving that no becomes the reason why I wouldn't ask for what I want. So I think that's very pivotal is to realize that, you know, if you want to have what you want, you have to be okay with receiving a no once, twice, three times. And you know what? The beauty of that is that that is the only way you're going to learn how to ask correctly, because there is a right way of asking. Uh, and asking who for what, how, you know, so, mm-hmm. so I think that's kind of. Yeah, and, and, and I think that to add to that, 
ego really comes into play in business, no matter what scale of work you're in, not just business, but any industry, ego is kind of a downfall for a lot of people. I imagine you've come across a lot of egos in your career. How important is it to be humble all throughout the journey from beginning to end? It's absolute, it's a cornerstone. I'd be lying if I said I've always been humble. No, I've been hit quite a few times. And I think it's, and that's, you know, when we talk about failures and being rejected, the only way you're going to be humbled is by accepting that, accepting that, you know what, where you put yourself is an absolutely internal feeling. Your self-worth is within. It's never external. Uh, So it doesn't matter what happens in your surroundings. And I think once you start doing that, you really become humbled because even when you say my self-worth is within me, it's never with an egotistical string attached to it. It's just the fact that I need people, but I need to find out how to work around getting us all on the same page. Uh, so, yes, I, I totally agree with you. I think ego is it's the downfall of a lot of great people, mm-hmm. for sure. And I'm glad we touched on this because this is something I'm sure that you share in your empowerment through entrepreneurship workshops. Yeah. Uh, please tell us more about these, because how did it start? When did it start and how is it going? So, yeah, I mean, when I start, when I left the medical field, um, I, I started focusing on empowering my community. And my focus was really about starting a business, how to start a business. Because when I started, I started with just training. I remember it was soft skills and communication skills, because somehow back then I thought that's what the market needs. <laughs> as as any entrepreneur that starts, they, you know, you, you, you fall in love with the idea so much. Uh, and you, you build this whole story around it before you even do any market research. So I made all of the mis- all, all the mistakes in the book. You know, all the wrong things that a business person can do, I've done that. And then I kind of went back and thought, you know what? This is what people need to learn. They need to learn what are the mistakes and what are the things that you should not do. And from there, I I started really sensing the gap in access to knowledge and access to finance that was between the genders. It was easier. And again, it's not... You know, I I hate the gender talk for a reason, and I don't like the word hate either, but, you know, it's become a very targeted and, like, it moves into a different direction. But the facts are facts. There there are cultural aspects, there are environmental aspects, and there are personal aspects. So from that perspective, there was a big gap between how the the guys, you know, the, the, the men had access to knowledge and access to finance, Whereas the females in, you know, at least in Oman, where where I was at the time, did not have the the same ease of access. And so I focused the whole business into doing empowerment, uh, how to start a business, um, what to do to become financially literate. Because I think that's, that's the other big elephant in the room that we as women don't talk about. Uh, and even like um, even men, when it comes to startups, I mean, I, I you know, I've mentored quite a few uh, startups founded just by guys. But financial literacy has always been the downfall. And for some reason, I don't know if it's the education system. It could be the education system. It's just the basics. There's just this fear that you have to be so good at math 
to do financial management. And that's not true. It's it's a fallacy. You know, it's it's really just basic economics. It's this plus this equals that. If I take away this, if I save this, I can do that. It's just management. So that's where the workshop started and they continued through that. And now, of course, I mean, after that, I went into venture capital. So it was more tech-based. And from there into commerce, and now I do a lot of the workshops about NFTs, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, because that's where the economies are going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many uh, so many people out there who have incredible ideas, especially out the pandemic. We spoke about how you know people lost a lot of things, but a lot of people felt empowered through the pandemic to leave the jobs that they no longer like and become who they truly want to become. And so when they took this new direction, did you face a lot of people within your workshops that had a common challenge? Were there any patterns in place that you noticed amongst men or women? Uh, Because one thing that I had a lot of conversations about during the pandemic was confidence. Mm. Confidence was such an issue for so many people. They had the ideas, they had the foundations, they had the work done. It was the confidence and able to walk into a room and yeah. essentially present your idea. Is that yeah. something that you found that was quite common? Um, I, yeah, I think so. But, I, you know, to be very honest with you, I think what COVID did, it took a lot of us into the the, the dark shadow work that needed to be done. And a, lo- a lot of it was confidence because suddenly we lost confidence in systems. We lost confidence in the future. We lost confidence in the economy. And then there was there were wars breaking out here and there. You know, there's uh, economies breaking down. There's, you know, th- I mean, a lot has happened in the last three years. And, you know, it's it's not a surprise that confidence was an issue. And I think it can it will continue to be unless the internal work that needs to be done gets done, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're going through uh, an era in history that's, that's definitely, I mean, one day down the, the road we're going to say, yeah, I lived through those years. I mean, it's like the, you know, the Great Recession right now, mm-hmm. what's happening. Absolutely. And I'm going to touch on it just once because I know you don't like the topic too much. <laughs> um, but that conversation around gender, you have yeah. a very interesting view on this because we've had different opinions come onto the podcast and, you know, share their views mm-hmm. of their difficulties, their challenges. There's a huge disparity between uh, males and females in the workplace. Uh, how is that I guess experience been for you and what is your view on that whole conversation and how we should move forward with it and I guess essentially change our language. I definitely would start there. Mm -hmm. I mean I think it's changing the language but then trying to understand the history of it as well. It doesn't do anyone any good to start from from where, where we are today. I think it makes so much more sense to go all the way back you know I would even go all the way back to, you know, the times of Adam and Eve. What happened from then, guys? What, what went wrong, mm. right? Different religions have different perspective about it. You know, different thought schools are different. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's so interesting. We're not going to go into it here mm-hmm. on this podcast, but mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would encourage anyone who wants to understand this whole gender dialogue, or debate to go all the way back into history and understand the whole, um, just history, the story of the, f- the the female gender and the male gender, and then try to find the unicity. Uh, and that's what I was saying just before the show. That I mean, for me, I, I've come to a point where, to me, it's not about gender per se. It just so happens to be that the more 
although I don't like word, using the word oppressed, but less or unequal, less opportunities are given to the human who happens to be the female. And that's it. Um, I'm very much a humanist, which means that, you know, it's it's about standing with anyone who is not getting the same opportunities. And that's it. Again, you know what we were saying earlier, if, if we as women, if we just keep on focusing on gender, 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 women, women, you know, and, and playing the victim role, I think that is that that is the, the, the ultimate uh, word. It's it's. Being in that victim chair does not do you any good because there's a lot of work that needs to be done for other women. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to play the victim, you're not going to be part of making the change. You have to get out of being the victim mentality and actually uh, sit at the table and, you know, level up with what's what's being said and what's being done. Mm -hmm. But, you know, not crying the victim and, you know... I've, I've been done wrong. I mean, that's my perspective. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And speaking about sitting at the table, I would love to know from you, and I'm fascinated by your answer already, is do you, would you say it's harder to get to the table for your journey in business and entrepreneurship, or is it harder to sustain your place at the table? To be extremely honest, I, you know, I, I wouldn't even compare the two. I mean, I think I am cu currently sitting as a board member on one of the biggest telecom companies in Oman. So I am, I, I finally made it to that table. But then I don't blame the system. I think, I, I think at the end of the day, it's an evolutionary thing. So what happens is if you have more women at the table, what it means is that next time we choose board members or CEOs, there's going to be an extra voice that will say, no, guys, you know what, let's have a look at these couple of CVs and just, you know, breaking those stereotypes. Uh, so I think it's just a matter of time that we get there. Now, whether sitting at the getting to the table or sustaining being at the table, I don't think it has anything to do with gender. I think it's about being business savvy, merits, competencies. And when it comes to business, really, truly, business does not relate to gender. It's absolutely, do you bring value or you don't? That's mm -hmm. it. Are you going to make us money or you won't? <laughs> Are you going to make us like, you know, I mean, and it really has nothing to do with gender mm, at the end of the day. Black and white with it. I, I absolutely believe that. I mean, that doesn't mean that there are no difficult situations. There are, I mean, this is speaking from like, you know, a perfect perfect combination of all board members being extremely professional and everybody is working from that professional perspective. Of course, every now and then you do get the one bad, you know, apple. But I think at, especially at the at that level, things are called out. And, you know, there's always because at the end of the day, the main purpose and the main goal is to make sure that it is for the benefit of the business. It's not the benefit of the people, it's the shareholders, it's the business, where are we going? And it doesn't matter who brought what, so long as it's being brought uh, across. And if there's anyone who's not, um, you know, pulling their weight or not bringing value, uh, then, you know, they, they get cut out, whether it's male or female. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, now you are truly living your passion. I, I feel I mean, you can hear it in uh, your voice. <laughs> you know, and we spoke about passion a lot in this podcast. Uh, we were speaking about whether passion is a privilege, whether uh, you know money is even relevant when you're pursuing your passion. You know, money will come if you are. Mm. Uh, you are very focused. <laughs> you're like <laughs> passion doesn't pay my bills. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> but your passion with startups and tech companies uh, is that truly what you're focused on now? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be, again, to be honest, I think, you know, I don't know if I'm living my passion. I think I, I've, I've reached a point now where so long as I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I'm adding value and I'm making money and I, you know, I will reiterate that because I think there's also another fallacy that's that, you know, if so long as you're following your passion, the money will come. No. It won't. (laughs) Trust me, from experience, it doesn't work like that. You have to be very smart. You have to be very business savvy. You have to make a few compromises and understand where your priorities lie. Life is not easy and it's not nothing's going to be handed out on a silver platter. And even if it does, it might happen once, but you haven't learned anything. If it happens again, you might lose it all because you haven't learned how to actually earn that and attain that. So, yeah, I think it's it's wonderful to be able to follow your passion and make money. But I will again reiterate that passion does not pay your bills. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. And I think this is what I love so much about the NFT space. Because for the first time, I think in a very long time, I think right now the biggest disrupted sector because of the blockchain technology and NFTs is the arts and music industry. And in my opinion, I think they are the the last sector that has not benefited from technology as much as the other sectors. You know, technology has not been utilized in the same way uh, that it has in, in, in so many other sectors since, you know, 2000. And for the very first time, we are beginning to see a shift in those sectors where artists suddenly can go directly and sell their creative work directly to the public through NFTs, where musicians can make music and they don't need a middleman. You know, they don't need the agents in the middle. So for the very first time, for me, it's, it's so interesting to see that because we've got a, a group of creatives who are producing very, very beautiful work. And they are the extreme of passion. They are extremely passionate about what they're doing. And so when it comes to business, it's to them, it's like, but it's not about the business, but it's my work. How can I put a price on my piece? I mean, it, it's in the eye of the beholder. But then again, if you get into business and if you want to continue doing what you're doing, which, I mean, you've been given this gift by the creator for a reason, because the world needs your creative work. But if you can't make money out of it, then the whole world is going to be starved from it. I mean, we're not going to have that beauty of a gift that you've been given. So I think this is this is the, the beauty of the NFT and, uh, you know, and and bringing that that passion and turning it into a business with a business mindset and and so a lot of the work that uh, I'm doing now is helping artists and creatives to learn the you know the ropes of market segmentation who's your targeted market how do you sell your sales channel your sales funnel because 
your creative work deserves to get to the world, but it needs to understand the business process. Mm, I could sit here with you for hours and, <laughs> and talk and learn so, so much. But to end this episode, I would love to ask you in recent times or in your past, what is the greatest lesson you have learned in your career? Oof, that's a big question. <laughs> I could not articulate it. Mm. I think at every stage of my life, there was a different lesson. I can't say one was greater than the other, and I continue to learn. I mean, now I learn from my kids. I mean, you know, they humble me. When I think I know it all, it's like suddenly they come up with something that they're doing, and I think, wow, you know, it's... Uh, What's like, TikTok? Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, mean, no, I mean, my son is so much now into, like, buying costumes and, mm -hmm. and what have you in, in the games that he's playing, you know, uh, I, I can't even remember the name. So it's, I mean... It's it's just it's such it's so humbling to to just understand that there's there's always lessons to be learned. So I, I could I could never say one greatest lesson. I think, you know, every day there's a lesson for sure. Absolutely. Well, I have to thank you so much for thank being you. here today. That was an incredible conversation, which I'm sure so many people will benefit from in their own journey. So thank you once again. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code.